0: This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55am, Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true, that if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change.
1: Welcome to the Climate Action Show. My name is Vivian Langford, and salut babette. Andy and I would like to pay our respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation from whose land we are broadcasting at 3CR and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation where we can be heard at Radio Skid
0: Row. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcasts on the internet at 3cr.org.au Make sure to share the show around if you like what you hear. My name is Carly and my guest today is Daniel Bleakley. Daniel Bleakley is a Queensland native who now has been residing in Melbourne for the last few years. After training as a mechanical engineer and working abroad, he worked in the mining industry in Western Australia. After losing his job during the global financial crisis, he started a printing company. For the last few years, he's focused his time on the climate crisis and engaged heavily in climate activism. He's recently started Coal Miners Driving Teslas, a project that has gotten a lot of traction on social media. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for joining us.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, Carly. It's nice to be here.
0: No worries. Firstly, can you tell us how you became a climate activist?
2: Uh, So I've been interested in climate change for 20 years now. I, I wrote my first letter to a politician in 2001, um about the about climate change and yeah i I received some like rubbish response back from the queensland environment minister um back then and but back then it seemed like a problem that was a a long way off into into the future um so i've been interested for, for about 20 years but it's only been the last two years uh when i've really got uh, quite active uh, as an activist, and that's mainly been because of the um, the seriousness of a lot of the reports that have been coming out over the last couple of years. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say I, I've been a, a full-time activist for about two years now.
0: It is a full-time job, isn't
2: it? It is, and it's hard to justify doing anything else. Like, y- 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 You'd know being an activist yourself, whenever you're not doing it, you kind of feel guilty or you feel like you're wasting time, um, precious, precious time. So, yeah, once once you've kind of wrapped your head around the seriousness and the urgency of the problem, uh, you, you feel compelled to make it your, your life's work, really.
0: Absolutely. And I invited you onto the show because, you know, I've known you for some time now, I've seen you in different activism circles, but recently a lot of traction's being gained on social media for coal miners driving Teslas. So I have to ask, when did you buy your Tesla and tell me about that?
2: So yeah, I bought the Tesla 18 months ago. Um, I've I've been interested in electric vehicles for a very long time and I've been following Tesla very closely for, for many years now. And I'm a huge fan of Tesla. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Elon Musk and, and his vision. And, uh, yeah, I really wanted to be a part of that. And it was a real stretch for me to get a Tesla. I'm, I'm not a wealthy person, but I, yeah, I made a lot of sacrifices to, to get it. And when I bought it, I said to myself, I, I want to use this amazing vehicle for activism and I want to put as many bums in seats as I. As I possibly can.
0: Amazing! It's um, I'm not a car person, but when I first saw your photo on social media, I was like, "That's a cool car."
2: Yeah, it's it is a it's a beautiful car, and every day I just love it more and more. Um, just the fact that nothing comes out of the there's there's no exhaust pipe. You start to see everything differently after you drive it around. You're not going to the service station to get fuel. And you start to notice exhaust smoke a lot more. You can smell it a lot more just because you're more cognizant of it. So it feels good riding around in it, but it also makes you aware of just how like polluted our, our cities are as well.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned wanting to get as many butts in seats. What then inspired you to start the movement or the project Coal Miners Driving Tesla's?
2: So I, I've been taking people for, for joyrides or drives for, well, since, since I got the car 18 months ago and uh, about six weeks ago, I came up to my hometown in Clermont, central Queensland and I drove the car up from, from Melbourne, which was amazing as experience in itself um, and I took a few of my friends in, in town for a drive and they loved it and I was staying with my brother and he works at one of the coal mines in, in the region and um, he wanted to take the car to 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 work for a few days so he took it over and i said oh if you, if you take any of your mates for for a drive just video their reaction and, and just ca- try to capture their reaction when when you're doing the acceleration so he did and he he got he the, the first one of his friends that he put in there is a guy named mark and he's a he's a coal miner, he's got a a big goatee and he's got a mullet and he's a petrol head. And he'd never been in a Tesla or an electric vehicle before and my brother put him into the driver's seat straight up and drove him out to a a quiet road and then just got him to come to a complete stop and then plant his foot uh, zero to a hundred. And Mark wasn't expecting what he got, (laughs) which was... (laughs) <laughs> know, zero to one hundred and three point three seconds. It's about, you know, it's a bit faster than a Lamborghini. Oh my god! Um, yeah. So and then so then with this video, you get this beautiful reaction, um, and he sent that video to me um, while he was at work, and then I posted it on social media, and it started going viral um, on on Twitter, and it's had over two hundred thousand views now, and it was shared in the US and the UK. And um, my brother said that that night um, when they went on to Night Shift, there was about 20 guys he was working with who'd all set up Twitter accounts so they could watch it going viral and check all the comments. Uh, They were loving it as well.
0: Amazing. What was it like for you to see that reaction from him driving it and gunning it?
2: it? It was really special for me because as an activist and someone who's grown up in um, a coal mining community my activism has always um, there's always been a lot of tension around it between myself and and you know my, my, my old schoolmates and pe- people in my community and, and my family so to see um yeah to see to see people in the region just absolutely loving this technology was um really incredible for me and and it, it made me think, wow, you know, we might be really onto something here. This could be a, this could be a, a great um, way to open up conversation with people and talk about clean technology and just how awesome the future could be. Really? Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. A different path. You know, when I hear that you grew up in mining communities, I do imagine that there was even that tension. I imagine with you growing up being concerned about climate, but then, you know, having like friends, you know, um, economies that relied on fossil fuels. What was that like for you?
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And uh, it, it was it was always, the tension was always there. Even when I went to university in Brisbane, I studied mechanical engineering. And, you know, I'd go to the pub with my mates while, while I was at uni and we'd often get into, you know, debates or arguments about, about climate change um and and whatnot so it's it's always it's always been there that that tension um and it's always felt adversarial um yeah as you know i've done some activism stuff with extinction rebellion and and um whenever i post that kind of stuff online it's often met with a lot of resistance from 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 some people in my home community so this this particular kind of campaign it's, it's it's different to that, which is really nice.
0: Mm. And have you experienced any barriers since starting this project?
2: Um, not really. I, with the with this particular like the the coal miners driving test this mm. one Not really. Not really. It's, um, yeah, it, it, everyone who get, goes in the car and everyone who drives it just absolutely loves it. And then it, it, it opens up that space to, to talk about other things, I guess, because you're having a great time and um, you, people just don't, aren't, aren't expecting it. They, they, the, the mainstream media hasn't reported on electric vehicles effectively you know, for, for, for a long time. And so people don't, don't know that this technology even exists. So the only way people will learn about it is through word of mouth and through experiencing it firsthand. Like Tesla doesn't advertise. They're philosophically against, uh, advertising. So all of Tesla, all of Tesla's, um, sales are essentially done through word, word of mouth and, and, and people, yeah, just talking about the car. Yeah.
0: That's so interesting. I didn't know that they didn't promote the cars because, you know, you see some of the electric power stations popping up, you know, in big cities. So I guess even that's a bit of a barrier. Like not enough people might know that these products exist and you can purchase them in Australia.
2: Yeah, that's right. And it's it's um, it's it's quite an interesting topic. Like the fact that Tesla – doesn't spend a single cent on advertising and marketing um, means that they they never get favourable um, media in in the mainstream media. So you'll you'll never hear pro Tesla stories on Channel Seven, Channel Nine, Channel Ten because those those um, media organisations generate hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue from advertising from legacy automakers like Ford, GM, Toyota, Volkswagen. So, and te- Tesla is a threat to, to those companies. So therefore they're a threat to the revenue streams of channel nine, channel 10 and channel seven. So that's why you always hear these negative stories about electric vehicles or, or Tesla, um, even though it's just absolutely phenomenal technology. And um, so, yeah, there's just so much misinformation and, and downright lies out there, and which you can only really counter with, with real life experiences, I think.
0: I hope you enjoyed hearing Thanks. from Dan today. I wanted to bring you a story about electric vehicles and someone who's using them to try and shift public debate about electric vehicles, because Australia is quite a laggard with EVs. In December 2, 2020, Solar Citizens posted a blog that you can check on their website stating the following. Australia will soon become the first place in the world to slap a net tax on electric vehicles, a move that will derail the fledging industry and keep polluting cars on the road for longer. Right now, Victoria and New South Wales are proposing an electric vehicle tax and it's likely other states and territories will follow suit. Electric vehicle owners in Victoria will be charged 2.5 cents a kilometer and hybrid vehicles will be charged at 2 cents a kilometer. In South Australia, the levy amount is not set yet, but will likely be similar. And in New South Wales, if the legislation is introduced, it won't be until next year. While the rest of the world is encouraging the uptake of clean EVs, Australia is already an electric transport laggard, and this new tax will not only make the situation worse, but will prevent clean air from getting to hours sooner. Keeping polluting cars on the road for longer is bad news for Australians' health, hip pockets, and the climate. Transport emissions are one of the largest and fastest growing sources of pollution in Australia, so now more than ever, we need to be supporting our electric vehicle industry. The tax sends a signal to EV manufacturers and suppliers that Australia is close for business. You might be asking why this idea is even being proposed. In Australia, motorists pay an excise on fuel, which forms part of the federal government's revenue. Some states are proposing to tax EVs for every kilometre they drive to make up for the lost revenue. It is true that in future, as the uptake of electric vehicles grows, that a road use tax will likely be necessary, but implementing a tax on the industry while it's just taking off will stifle innovation and the move towards a cleaner transport sector. It's common for governments to apply extra taxes on products that they want to discourage. For example, cigarettes and alcohol are more taxed than fresh fruit and vegetables. But applying additional costs to EVs when we want more people to buy them is getting things backwards. What's more, research commissioned by the Electric Vehicle Council found that EVs already contribute more tax revenue over their lifetime than comparable internal combustion engine vehicles. One of the big barriers right now stopping Australians from adopting electric cars is the cost. Incentivising EVs, like is done in the ACT and around the world, helps to bring down the cost and make new technology affordable for more Australians. A thriving electric vehicle market would be good news for all Australians. EVs have lower fuel and maintenance costs, so having a thriving market that can deliver affordable EVs to all Australians is a no-brainer. We simply can't afford to make it more difficult for Australians to upgrade to the next generation of transport. You can head to their website to sign their petition. What's more, the Australian Institute wrote in April 22 that an unlikely group of 25 companies and organisations, including car manufacturers, auto groups, electrical infrastructure companies and environmental groups, have come together to publish an open letter to the victorian parliament calling them to vote against victoria's regressive electric vehicles tax this was voted to be brought in so signatures of the open letter included hyundai volkswagen uber jet charge the electric vehicle council solar citizens environment victoria doctors for the environment australia and the australian institute Victoria is already massively behind comparable jurisdictions in the US, the UK and across Europe in terms of electric car uptake. The tax will exacerbate the yawning gap. So just like rooftop solar, people want to see electric vehicles become more affordable for everyday Australians. This tax on cleaner vehicles will just jam the handbrake. Penalising electric car owners because they don't consume petrol that pollutes the atmosphere and our environment is absurd. The Australian Institute research shows that there are a range of policies that support the uptake of EVs, which are very popular to the public. These include offering loans for electric vehicles purchases, building more charging stations, and removing the luxury car tax on zero emission cars. It is somewhat disingenuous to suggest that roads are funded by the fuel excise, as those funds collected by the federal government go towards general revenue. If the state government was looking to increase revenue, there are far better ways that they could have gone about it that don't disincentivise the use of electric vehicles. So where you can, make your voice heard, share these stories, and hopefully in time, there'll be more electric vehicles on the road sooner rather than later. I see you put the call out sometimes, you know, who, who do you want in the car next? Where would you eventually like coal miners driving Teslas to go?
2: Um, so it's a catchy name, coal miners driving Teslas, but we'll we'll take anyone. <laughs> we don't discriminate. <laughs> we don't discriminate against people who aren't coal miners. Um, so ultimately, I'd like to make this sustainable, and I'd like to take it to regional towns around Australia, and go to a town for a few days, um, take uh, as many people who would like to go for a drive as possible film some of them who want to be filmed and you know if they don't want to be filmed we'll just take them for a drive anyway and just have those discussions about clean technology about electric vehicles about you know the Australia that we want to build uh, uh the Australia that we want for, for the for our future you know um so yeah ultimately I would love to to keep this series going and maybe it might evolve it could evolve in all different ways but one of the ways it might evolve could be um, longer format discussions. So instead of the little two minute clips that we've got, it, there might be a two minute clip, but there also might be like a half an hour chat with, with someone while they're driving it. And then we, we talk about all, all, you know, all the important topics that, that we should be talking about.
0: That's amazing. That's really, really cool.
2: Yeah, I, I, we haven't done it yet, but um, it's something that kind of it's an idea that we're toying with at the moment. <clears throat> and, the, you know, those chats could be with mayors or politicians or, you know, sports stars or comedians or, you know, just regular people. It, it doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, yeah, when, when people are in the car and they're, they're experiencing this technology, it it's just such a... it it just opens people up. So it's a great, great opportunity to have a a, a bigger discussion.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned that you love clean tech and, you know, you mentioned that the possibilities of what clean tech like this can provide Australia. What are some things that you would like people to know who have no idea about electric vehicles? Because I think, remember, they're not readily available in Australia. So what would you like people to know?
2: Yeah, so there's... um, There's quite a few things. I'm I'm obviously very much pro Tesla, and um, generally I'm not in favour of just single brands in in certain categories. But with the car industry, it's it's really different because legacy automotive companies, your yeah, as I said, your Fords, GMs, Toyotas, they're being dragged kicking and screaming into producing electric vehicles, and we still haven't seen a, a massive Um, mass production vehicles from legacy auto yet they've been holding off as long as they can Um, the reason is because those companies are set up to produce internal combustion engine vehicles they've you know there's hundreds of billions of dollars worth of factories around the world that are um, that are dedicated to producing internal combustion engines transmissions and all the things but a lot of the things that you don't need for electric cars. So for legacy auto companies, a lot of them are run by marketing people. They're run by accountants and their investors want profits you know, in the next quarter. So that means they're just trying to sell their existing product harder and harder. So it's about marketing for them. It's about selling, selling as fast as they can. Um, and the, the other thing is they... You may have noticed that a lot of electric vehicles that have been produced by legacy auto companies are like quite ugly. <laughs> like they're yes. not they're not attractive vehicles in the traditional sense. Like BMW has this car called the the i3, I think it is. I forget, but it's like this little bubble looking car. It looks terrible, and um, the reason the reason that legacy auto Make these, make their electric vehicles like quite ugly is, and I don't want to offend any of your listeners if they've got a, a, a you know, and this is leave for anything. I've, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking generally here, but like the BMW i3 is, is objectively an ugly vehicle, right? And, um, the reason that they do it is because they don't make much margin on those cars compared to their bread and butter, their, their ice vehicles. They stick them at the back of the showroom. And they do it to appease environmentalists, basically. So environmentalists will say to um, automotive manufacturers, why aren't you making an electric vehicle? BMW say, well, we are, but nobody's buying it. And then you go, well, no one's buying it because it's ugly and it's like, you know, looks like a piece of junk. But it's done on purpose to protect the profits of their main bread and butter, which is petrol and, and diesel vehicles. So we can't... When Ford says they're going to bring out a new ev in a year or two we can't we can't you know congratulate them for that they've been saying that for years a lot of legacy auto companies they're always two years away from these evs well where are they you know where are they uh, tesla has had electric vehicle full electric vehicles on the market for a decade right for a, a decade, decade. The, the, yeah so there's News two, to me. The, uh, There's a guy in germany last year who became the first. Tesla owner, he he had a Tesla model S from 2012. First person to own a Tesla to do a million kilometers with the same battery pack and the same, um, electric motors. So, you know, the legacy auto companies, they'll keep saying that they've, you know, they've got all these magnificent EVs coming, but I'll believe it when I see it. Um, and that's, I've, I've drifted off topic a bit, but that's kind of why I've, I'm I'm really pro Tesla because they're, you know, even their mission statement is to accelerate the uptake of electric vehicles. It's got nothing to do with profit. It's, it's just about accelerating change.
0: Gosh. So a lot of new information there. And I do thank you for that, even though it's really made me annoyed. (laughs) So (laughs) on the one, on the one hand, we've got the legacy car companies who are like, look, we're trying really hard. We've got these ugly EVs just buy them. Um, and then on another hand, in Australia, we've got the government who are doing all they can to make it more difficult in most states, excepting the ACT, to purchase um, cars and make it financially um, viable for people.
2: Yeah, basically, and, and you know, a big, a big part of all this is just the sheer size of the automotive industry and the the oil industry. I mean the the oil industry has also got you know its tentacles into governments. Um, Globally the oil industry generates over two trillion dollars US every year. And it's something it's it's almost it's something like three billion dollars. It's something like three billion dollars US every day that they generate in, in revenue, right? So when you consider it like that, Every day, every single day that the oil industry can delay the electric vehicle revolution is worth $3 billion, right? So if if the oil industry can throw $10 million into a fear campaign or pay some PR company or some nefarious organization to pump out some um, misinformation through social media or through some faux report or whatever you want to call it, if they can delay the uptake of electric vehicles by a single day, that's worth $3 billion. So that's, that's really what Tesla's up against. Um, another, another interesting thing about Tesla and, and the battle that they've had, um, they're the most shorted stock in history. So even though they're the fastest growing car company in history, they've also been the most shorted stock in history. So it's, it's, it's dropped now, but last year, 30% of the stock was shorted by short sellers and there's a lot of speculation that all this money that was shorting Tesla was actually coming from oil industry shell companies and the the reason they were shorting it wasn't wasn't because they were they thought it was going to crash they were shorting it to generate bad media or bad news about it so they say so they put 10 billion onto shorts they didn't care about losing the 10 billion it, because if they could delay it by like two weeks then they'd made their money back anyway you know it's yeah.
0: playbook of very very rich industries and just so for listeners who might not know shorts stock markets can you just really um explain like you would to a 10 year old what shorting is
2: yeah so shorting shorting is basically when you're betting that uh company is going to the share price is going to decrease you're you're betting that um a company's not worth what the stock market's saying it's going to be worth so so what shorting is is you're um, buying stocks in the future with the anticipation that they're going to be less than what they are in the present so you're like selling you're selling stocks in the present that you don't have and buying them if the fu- buying them in the future that's so a bit strange to wrap your head around but it's basically betting that the stock's going to decrease
0: thank you for that how far can you go on a single charge talk to me about the properties of driving the
2: thing yeah so my model 3 has a range of between 460 to 500 kilometers which um yeah it depends on how i drive it if i'm Doing lots of uh, fast acceleration, then it, it drops a little bit, obviously. But um, yeah, generally it's it's around 460 and, and above. Tesla has um, supercharging stations dotted across the country. There's there's not there's none above Gympie, but once you go below Gympie in Queensland, they're basically dotted along, you know, every three or four hundred kilometres. So you can. Um, go from from city to city, and, and when you type in your destination in, on the big um, touchscreen in the car, it routes you through the superchargers as you go, and it'll say, Oh, yeah, stop here for 20 minutes, stop here for 30 minutes, blah blah blah. Um, and the Tesla super so Tesla has over 20,000 superchargers around the world now. Um, no other car companies creating this kind of a network with, with their own supercharging stations. The version two Tesla superchargers are getting 800 kilometers an hour. So on my drive up here from Melbourne, half an hour, and I could get 400 kilometers charge. Um, so, you know, drive drive for 400Ks, stop for half an hour, and you've got another, you know, 400Ks charge. And they Tesla have just installed their first version three, supercharger in Toowoomba and it's, it'll get um, 1500 kilometers per hour. So 20 minutes and you'll get a 500 kilometer charge. Huge. Sorry for all that detail, but it's... Uh, no, yeah. it's good.
0: <laughs> it's interesting because I, the next car I have, I want it to be electric and that's it. But I don't understand, you know, how long do you have to charge it for? How long can it actually go? You know, do you have to kind of plan your life around the charging station? All those little pr- practical things because I don't actually know anyone apart from you who's got an electric vehicle.
2: Yeah, it's, it's super easy and it's really nothing to worry about. It's actually easier than owning a petrol car because... It, I mean if you've got a if you've got a garage you pull in you, you get a wall mounted charging unit when you buy the car um, so you pull in you plug that in and you get 50 kilometers an hour so overnight you've got a full charge and even if you don't have that you get a cable which you can plug into any any wall and get you know 120 160 K's overnight um, so basically you know if you've got the wall mounted charger installed and you've got a garage you'll start every day with a full charge and you only really need though to stop at the supercharging stations if you're going from city to city and even then it's it's just so easy it's yeah it's I, i find it easier than owning a petrol car to be honest
1: Dum
0: That was Dupanbul Yunupingu with Gertha. She says her new song represents the fire, my identity, my homeland, my people, and my heart. That's like music to my ears. You know, it's one of those things, as you're an activist for a long time and you recognise how um, insidious all the structures are and how tied they are to the fossil fuel industry, yada, 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 it starts to feel yuck. You you know, I work an hour away from home, they're – there is no um, logical, unfortunate um, public transport system that would get me to where I need to go in less than two and a half hours and then back. And, you know, you clock up the case and it starts to feel gross because, you know, you're trying to challenge this system, but you're also enmeshed in it. You know, did you... Yeah. must feel nice to be away from that or not have that guilt in your head.
2: Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Um it is the the system how how it's become what it is today it is mind-bogglingly depressing how our transport system works now and um, you know the, the fossil fuel the, the oil industry has been suppressing the electric ve- electric vehicle revolution for decades Right, we could all be driving electric vehicles now. There were incredible electric vehicles coming out in the '90s. A lot of your listeners have probably seen "Who Killed the Electric Car," which um, is a fantastic documentary about GM's um, EV in the '90s. And they did a trial of it, and people absolutely loved it. And then they recalled them all and crushed them.
0: I was um, going to make me cry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's it's a depressing. It's depressing to see it. And mm. um, so you, you have to ask, well, why? Why? Why is it? Why, why is it? Why are we still all driving around these polluting vehicles? Why are, are all of our buses in Melbourne diesel? Like this disgusting diesel stuff mm. that spews out black smoke that we're all breathing? We're all breathing in this diesel particulate. Why? You know, China has over five hundred thousand electric buses on the road now. They've had them on the road for a couple of years now, right? Why? Well. The re- one of the major reasons has to be the contracts to supply the diesel, the contracts to supply the fuel for these um, for these cars and for these buses and trucks and everything else. Like, the, contra- the diesel contract for Victoria's public buses must be enormous, right? And if there's a lot of money involved, then, you know, that finds its way into politics. And so, so, so some people are making an absolute fortune – off um off this a handful of people are making an absolute fortune off it but meanwhile we all pay the price with our health that's that's it yeah, so yeah. it's not it's te- it's it's been technically possible for a very long time and i would i would say that it's been corruption that's been stopping us from achieving it
0: yeah absolutely agreed You mentioned um, a few people getting rich off our backs. And I think I'd like to get your insight, you know, a bit more of the political reasons why you chose to hit these coal mining communities. You know, why did you think it was important?
2: That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think seeing the way Scott Morrison has like photo ops with um, in high vis gear with with workers even though he has never worked he's never worked as a miner He's, he's never worked he's never worked as a tradie you know but I wanted to go out and actually speak to coal miners and speak to tradies and just see what they thought about electric vehicles because you know you would have also heard the comments from Scott Morrison that you know electric vehicles won't tow your boat won't tow your caravan and then you had Michaelia Cash saying things like, Oh, we're going to protect Trades Utes and all, all this absolute garbage. Um, just complete utter lies. So I really wanted to go out and put coal miners in the, you know, in the seat of the car and sit, you know, see if they enjoyed it or not. And they do. They, they absolutely love it. So I think, and I, I think it's, it's also powerful politically because it's, um, It's going right to the heart of what he considers, what Scott Morrison considers to be his base. And um, yeah, and I I think that if more people start doing this kind of stuff and it creates an organic kind of grassroots conversation in, in the regions, then it will change that political narrative.
0: Absolutely lifting the veil and shining a light on how hollow their statements and arguments are. I love
2: that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what more can the public do, in your opinion, to campaign for electrical, electric vehicles in Australia?
2: Uh, I, th- I think the, the, the main thing is still the, the traditional calling your local member to talk about it. Um, we often talk about the need to go to electric vehicles for um, countering climate change for reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and that is obviously a massively important reason to do it. But I would encourage your listeners to call their local member and talk about the health benefits of, of electric vehicles because we're all breathing this stuff in. Every- and um, Diesel particulate you and I would both have millions of little diesel particulate particles in our lungs right now, because we've grown up in, we've grown up breathing this air in every single day of our lives since we were babies. Um, so none of us, there's no one alive today who's lived in a city that hasn't had diesel and petrol pollution in it. And I think this, this needs to be hammered home is, um, even though we can't see it, and people always say, "Oh, it's not as bad as other places." Well, that's great, but that's not the point. The point is, we want we want clean air. We want clean air for us for us to breathe and for our children to breathe. And we're not getting it at the moment. And the other thing is the the, the peacefulness. We always have this background noise in, in our cities. Like whenever you walk outside, you can hear it. You can hear the traffic. When we when we finally convert to 100% electric vehicles, we'll be able to hear birds singing in the middle of our cities. And that will be an amazing thing. Yeah. It
0: sounds like um, sci-fi, you know what I mean, to, to be in a crowded city because, you know, when you're in one, it's it's inescapable. All you can hear is like tooting, revving. So to think about a world like that, it sounds beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and, and the other thing, like diesel particulate, um, there's been many studies show, linking it to cognitive impairment. they mm-hmm. have done studies on, on uh, school kids in the US. They did a study, um, 20,000 school kids that take diesel buses to school, and they had, on average, a six-point lower IQ than, than kids who don't. So if, if we can get this crap out of our air, out of our cities, our society will collectively become more intelligent. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so think about that, what that yeah. will do to politics. Think about that, what, what that will do to our democracy, right? Yeah. If, if, if we, if, if as a society we have a higher level of intelligence, man, we're going to be doing some really cool stuff politically, you know?
0: <laughs> it's, I,
2: yeah. I, I know it's, it's, it's funny to think about, but it's, it's actually true, you know? We're all, mm. we're all slightly dumber because we're, we're yeah. breathing this stuff in.
0: Yeah, and it's just if we can have a better like better health, why wouldn't we pick that?
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Who would you like next in the driver's seat if you could pick?
2: So I'm. on top, <laughs> top three. Top I'm, three. I'm up in Mackay at the moment, um, staying at a friend's place, uh, and been been chatting with a few people lately, and I would love to get J- Jonathan Thurston, the rugby league player from the North Queensland Cowboys. Um, he's just up at Townsville. So um, put a tweet out today saying, if he's keen, we'll drive it up to Townsville. He'd, he would be great. Um, also, uh, Jackie Lambie, she's in Tasmania, so it might take a bit to get down there. But I, I want to do, I've been saying, I, I want to um, see Jackie Lambie take it down the drag strip, um, do a <laughs> qu- quarter mile for her first for her first try i think that'd be pretty cool um who else yeah they're they're the main two but i've been i've been put just putting it out the social media to see what what people think um this project i I really want it to be driven by social media and for people to tell me you know where try go over here or or go there or try this person so
0: yeah Mm, led by the people.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Cool. Is there anything else that you think it's important for us to know, that you want to touch on?
2: Uh, no, that's that's about it. Um, I'm trying to keep this project going full time, and we have a Patreon account set up, so we have quite a few Patreons already just in the last two weeks. But if we can get a few more Patreons chipping in a couple bucks every month, then we can we can make this sustainable and. Ultimately, I would love to do this right up until the federal election. So I'd like to take it to regional towns around the country and just put as many people in the driver's seat as possible until the election and just try to help change the public debate before then.
0: Definitely shoot us through the link and it'll go on the show notes as well because I think, yeah, that's a brilliant idea, drive it all the way up to um, Canberra.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we could end in Canberra. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: if listeners are excited or, you know, want to find out more, where can they find you?
2: So we're, <clears throat> we're on most of the platforms now. So the main one would be our Twitter account, which is at Miners in Teslas. Uh, so we post all the videos there and interact a fair bit there. We've got a YouTube channel, which is Coal Miners Driving Teslas. Uh, we've also got an Instagram account, which is Coal Miners Driving Teslas and Facebook account as well with that, that same name. So, um, yeah, we're, we're I've been frantically setting up new accounts over the last two weeks and, yeah, if, if anyone's interested, they can contact us through those.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing more videos as I come up. Thank you so much for your time today, Daniel.
2: No worries. Thanks very much for having me. There are
0: many things you can do when you're feeling despair, anger, sadness, or rage about the climate crisis. One of the most powerful things you can do is move your money from the institutions that are continuing to put your money into activities that actively fund the climate crisis, like the fossil fuel industry or deforestation practices. Head to Market Forces at M-A-R-K-E-T-F-O-R-C-E-S to check out how your bank, superannuation fund or insurance body stack up. Other things you can do are call, write or email your local or state member of government. Explain why you are concerned about the climate crisis, what it means to you to have a healthy inhabitable suburb and why you think that they can do more. If you want to do something different, you can also attend a yoga for climate action class. So once a month, there are online yoga classes intended to raise money for different climate grassroots groups. 100% of donations go towards these groups and a different group is highlighted each month. So you can take meaningful action to support climate grassroots organizations by attending a beginner's yoga class. There are many, many ways in which people can ignore climate change or choose to do nothing about it. But when we feel the threat, we are more likely to be motivated to take action. But it's also then, of course, that we feel the most distress and worry. Feeling the threat of climate change involves a whole host of difficult emotions. Common feelings are fear, anger, guilt, shame, grief, loss, and helplessness. These strong feelings might result from direct fears about climate-related weather events affecting us, or vicarious distress about future threats, or about climate change impacts on other places, or even distress in response to the existential threat to civilization as we know it. Coping with these feelings that we have about climate change is so important, so we don't become overwhelmed by these feelings, so we don't try to avoid the problem in order to avoid the feelings, so we don't burn out, so we can keep functioning well in our everyday lives and most importantly, so we can stay engaged with climate change and with the changes we are making to reduce the threat. Yoga has been shown in peer-reviewed research to support psychological well-being with movement-based yoga significantly improving the mental health of people living with a wide range of mental disorders, including depression and anxiety. You can check out yoga for climate action on Instagram. Links will be submitted on the podcast page and give it a go buy a ticket with a friend see if you like it or not you'll have a movement-based evening where your money goes towards groups that are 100% volunteer-led for the most part put your money to good use have some fun and enjoy R's annual radiothon was running throughout the whole month of June and the on-air radio campaign is designed to raise money for the radio station It's only with the financial support of the community that 3CR is able to remain independent, community controlled and focused on people rather than profits. It takes a whole lot of money to keep us volunteers on air and all Radiothon donations power the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. Any amount makes a big difference and all donations over $2 were tax deductible and we'd like to give a special thank you for everyone who donated to our show. And so we'd like to shout out from the bottom of the Climate Action Show's hearts, a big thank you for, from David Findy from Baconsfield, John Kent in Watsonia, EMB, SMB Climate Action, Heck Media, so huge thank you for everyone who donated money. It means a lot to us to continue to bring the good, the bad about climate action, what's hot and what's not, Thank you our supporters, you're keeping the voices of dissent on air.
1: Thank you so much for being with us once again. What's your message for us this year?
3: Thank you for having me. Tomorrow, 150 weeks will have passed since we started the school strike for the climate. And during this time, more and more people around the world have woken up to the climate and ecological crisis, putting more and more pressure on you the people in power. Eventually the public pressure was too much and you had the world's eyes on you. So you started to act. Not acting as in taking climate action, but acting as in role playing. Mm -hmm. Playing politics, playing with words and playing with our future. Pretending to take responsibility acting as saviours as you try to convince us that things are being taken care of. Meanwhile, the gap between your rhetorics and reality keeps growing wider and wider. And since the level of awareness is so low you almost get away with it. But let's be clear, what you're doing is not about climate action or responding to an emergency. It never was. This is communication tactics dressed As politics disguised as politics. You, especially leaders from high-income nations, are pretending to change and listen to the young people while you continue pretty much exactly like before. Pretending to take science seriously by saying science is back while holding climate summits without even inviting one single climate scientist as speaker. Pretending to wage war against fossil fuels while opening up brand new coal mines, oil fields and pipelines. You don't only continue business as usual as before, in many cases you're even speeding up and scaling up the process. Pretending to have the most ambitious climate policies while granting new oil licenses exploring future oil fields. Bragging about your so-called ambitious climate commitments which if you look holistically are vastly insufficient and then get caught not even trying to reach those targets. Pretending to care about nature and biodiversity while the world is cutting down a forest area the size of a football field every second. Pretending to be a climate leader while looking, locking in a future common agricultural policy that will make the Paris Agreement impossible to reach pretending that you will build back better. After the pandemic, even though astronomical sums of money have already been locked in, and not in green projects, whatever green means, the G7, as an example, is spending billions more on fossil fuels and fossil fuel infrastructure than on clean energy. This you compensate with beautiful words and promises that someone in the future will somehow undo your actions and make them net zero. And when your empty words are not enough, when the protests grow too loud, you respond by making the protests illegal. Of course, we welcome all efforts to safeguard future and present living conditions, and these distant net zero emissions targets could be a great start. If they weren't full of gaps and loopholes, like leaving out emissions from imported goods, international aviation and shipping, as well as the burning of biomass, using baseline manipulation, excluding most feedback loops and tipping points, ignoring the crucial aspect of equity and historic emissions, as well as making these targets completely relying on fantasy scale, currently barely existing negative emissions technologies. But as your acts continue, More and more of us are seeing through your manuscripts and your role playing. The gap between your actions and words is becoming more impossible to ignore. While more and more extreme weather events are raging all around us. And as a result, young people all over this planet are no longer falling for your lies. You are distancing yourself further and further away from us and from reality. Some years ago, you could still claim that we're moving in the right direction. Today, that is no longer possible. 2021 is currently forecasted to be the year with the second highest emission rise ever. You say we need to move slowly to to bring the public along. However, how do you honestly expect to bring the people along if you don't treat this crisis like a crisis? If it is one thing the pandemic has proven once and for all, It is that the climate and ecological emergencies have never once been treated as emergencies. The climate crisis is today, at best, being treated only as a business opportunity to create new green jobs, new green businesses and technologies. As the pandemic unfolded, you did not say this will benefit the face-mark manufacturing industry or this will create new jobs in healthcare and hospitals. Taking bold climate action will naturally bring many advantages and benefits, yet needless to say we will not be able to solve a crisis we do not treat as a crisis and that we do not understand the magnitude of. Perhaps playing a role helps you sleep at night, saying things just for the sake of it because the words are in your scripts. But while you are busy working the stage, you seem to forget that the climate crisis is not something distant in the future, it is already taking so much from the most affected people in the most affected areas. This might just be a game to you, a game to win votes, popularity, points on the stock market, or your next high paid position in a company or lobbying firm. The ones who focus on the packaging rather than on the actual content, and the ones with the most beautiful features and the most short-sighted likeable policies, wins. You can and will, of course, choose to continue to play your parts, say your lines and wear your costumes. You can and will continue to pretend. But nature and physics will not fall for it. Nature and physics are not entertained nor distracted by your theater. The audience has grown wary. The show is over. Thank you.